You're listening to the Rough Draft Podcast, Season 10, Episode 5, where Katie teaches Cam and I about the history of LGBT representation in media. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rough Draft Podcast. I'm your host today, Katie Putnam, and today we are talking about LGBT History Month, but specifically LGBT history and literature, film, TV, all that good stuff. Um, I'm joined today by our other, some other podcast team members, Cam and Ben. Say hello. 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 Um, so I thought to get us started, we could talk a little bit about um, our memories growing up. When did we like first see LGBT characters? Mostly TV, I think, but some movies. Um, I know for me, I think my first real characters that I saw were reruns of Will and Grace. Maybe not even reruns, but Will and Grace. Any difference there? Um, well, I'm ashamed to admit that I don't really remember no uh, LGBTQ plus uh, representation in you know my early childhood. Yeah. I mean... Really, aside from Will and Grace, the next thing I can remember is like Glee and Modern Family. So I'm not talking that, <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot of real characters when we were growing up. Yeah, I think my first experience was um, Mitch and Campbell and Modern Family. Yeah, that was definitely a, a big deal when that happened. <laughs> um, I can't remember any books really until like high school movies. I remember hearing about Brokeback Mountain. I've never seen it. I really oh. should. Oh yeah, I forgot yeah, I did see that movie. It was a good movie. Yeah. Um awkward to watch with um <laughs> you know um some family members, but you know, yeah. it was a cool movie. It's on my bucket list. I remember also like the references to Brokeback Mountain in Night at the Museum with the little cowboy and Roman. I don't know if you guys ever met but anyway um so to take it back then um one of the first uh literature the first novels featuring like an explicitly like openly male male love affair was in 1805 and it was set in ancient greece you know they were like let's set it there that's the best time to do it um but that was really an anomaly until getting into like the late 1800s, there was um, the first American gay novel was called Joseph and His Friend, A Story of Pennsylvania. So right here in our state, um, that was 1870, um, taking political stance. This one's interesting. Um, it's called Carmilla by Sheridan Le Fanu. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, 1872. That's a vampire lesbian novel. Have you guys ever heard of it? Nope. That actually came out before Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, recently, uh, starting in 2014 to 2016, there was a web series modern adaptation that was a big deal in the um, like sapphic community, lesbian and bisexual women. Um, so it's kind of cool, groundbreaking in a way. Um, then we're jumping ahead, 1926. Uh, it was the first short story by an African-American, which openly discusses gayness, bisexuality, and interracial, like, male desire. 
That was called Smoke, Lilies, and Jade. We have Orlando, a biography by Virginia Woolf. That's 1928, which is about a immortal bisexual poet who transitions from male to female, one of the first English transgender novels. Um, and I did have a lot of trouble finding um, historical things for transgender representation, which I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was. Um, I don't think, I'm trying to remember if I've read any books with trans people in it, and I don't think I have. Well, that's on my bucket list then to try to find. <laughs> um, and we'll get more into that with the TV. Uh, I can't think of anywhere like a main character is yeah. transgender. But I feel like there's probably a John Green book where a background character is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking, I was like, what was the first book that I read with even like a gay character? And I think it was Will Grayson, Will Grayson, which is half John Green, half David Leviathan? But, and I was like in high school for that. But, this is sort of an interesting book called Strange Brothers by Blair Niles, 1931. It was about the friendship between a straight woman and a gay man, um, and it kind of promoted like compassion and tolerance for gay people. Uh, but it also was one of the first stories to like really frame gay stories as these tragic melodramas, which is definitely something that keeps happening. Like even *Brokeback Mountain*, that does not end happily. And so often they never do. Um, here's a big one. This is one of the only. Um, transgender-oriented books. It's actually a memoir. Most of the early transgender literature were memoirs. Um, it was called Man into Woman by Lily Elbe, 1933. Um, it was one of the earliest, she was one of the earliest recipients of um, what's most often today called gender affirmation surgery, but many people will know it as gender or sex reassignment surgery. More what might ring a bell is that there's a fictionalized account of her life that was turned into the 2015 film, The Danish Girl. Remember? Eddie Redmayne won an award for that. Um, there was drama though with that because, as is always an issue, they have like cis men playing trans women. Mm -hmm. um, and then he won an award for it. But. She was definitely an important and influential person who wrote an influential memoir. Another book called Myra Breckenridge by Gore Vidal, 1968. This is a kind of satirical novel, um, but it sold over two million copies and it was about, and I quote, a trans woman hell bent on world domination and bringing down the patriarchy. Um, so it sounds fun, no wonder it sold well. <laughs> Um, it was the first novel where a main character has gender affirmation surgery, and it explored gender roles and sexual orientations as social constructs. Like, that's what it was satirizing, satirizing. We're getting to a lot of the LGBT gay, like, novels were pulp fiction, like those cheap paperbacks that you'd get at stores, and they had, like, sort of like how we think of those novels as, like, a woman draped over like a shirtless man. That's like the gay equivalent of that is what these mm -hmm. books were. They were mostly actually lesbian Pulp Fiction novels. Um, they mostly ended in tragedy or the woman ending up with a man because of censorship. Um, but 
one of the big ones was called Women's Barracks, the Frank Autobiography of a French Girl Soldier. It was the first US paperback original bestseller. So just not even talking about LGBT stuff, but just the first US paperback original bestseller. So that's pretty cool. Um, it was banned in Canada, and it actually led to the formation of the House Select Committee on Current Pornographic Materials. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of this stuff was just considered porn. And to be fair, well, I don't want to be fair to them, but all of, like, they were very erotic. And um, especially the gay male Pulp Fiction, it was basically erotica. Which, I mean, everyone, I guess everyone deserves to have that face. You know, the straights have it, let the gays have it too. But it's all they had. Um, here are some of the names of the gay male novels. Summer and Sodom, mm -hmm. Midtown Queen, Hollywood Homo, and my favorite, It's a Gay, 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 Gay World. <laughs> that was, it was, that's a real book. Where is that from? That's, um, these are from the 50s and 60s. No, but that, isn't, that's a gay, gay, like, isn't that like a reference to like, something, I don't know. Maybe yeah. there's something more recent that referenced that book. Maybe. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. It's a great, it's a great name. Um, there was also... Looks like there's a movie version. Oh, there should be. Or it's a TV show, sorry. Oh, okay. Good. I think. There's also an interesting, um, series of gay Pulp Fiction called The Man from Camp, C-A-M-P, which is like a spoof of The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and also James Bond. Mm -hmm. It's a gay international super spy series, but it's also, like sort of erotic in it. So that sounds fun. No, you know what's, um, sorry to interrupt. No, yeah, yeah. please interrupt while I'm no. talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, recently I, I watched James Bond because, you know, a new movie about to come out or whatever. Right. And it was, I think it was Skyfall, where it was like a torture scene. And the dude, it, the dude was, you know, he grabbed James Bond's legs. And people got mad about it because, like, James Bond liked it. And it's implied that James Bond is like bisexual oh. in in a way. So yeah. it's just quick fun trivia, I guess. I don't know. Sorry. That is no, that is interesting. It's definitely it actually really plays into some tropes that I will talk about with the film stuff. So let's let's get into that. So one of the first films was a German silent film called Different from the Others from nineteen nineteen. It had a pro-gay message. It was sad in the end, as many of these were, but it, it promoted um, like tolerance. Um, and the Nazis did try to destroy every copy, but mm -hmm. luckily it survived. For most movies, especially in the US and Hollywood, gay characters were like these side characters who were always super flamboyant and feminine. They were supposed to be just comedy. And I think that's definitely still a thing. Like mm -hmm. when I think about people who are like queer coded in TV shows, it's yeah. for comedy. Like like the gay uncle or something like that, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah, that's stupid. Uh, that's like okay to an extent, but if that's all they are, then yeah. Um, the movie Manslaughter, 1922, silent film, had the first gay kiss. It wasn't like an orgy scene though, so I don't, it's not great. Um, <laughs> Uh, Pandora's Box, 1929, had the first explicitly lesbian character. 
so she was clearly like a lesbian. She was like a side character, but still. Um, the movie Morocco in 1930 had the first leading lady to kiss another woman. And she happened to be played by a bisexual actress, Marlene Dietrich, Dietrich, who I have heard of. Um, I don't know if she was openly bisexual at the time, if it was maybe like sort of known on the down low. That's my assumption. Another German movie which the Nazis tried to destroy was Madchen in Uniform, which was the first like explicitly lesbian movie like had a main romantic plot line. So then, in America at least, we have the Motion Picture Production Code being enforced, or what's better known as the Hayes Code, I believe named after the guy who held it. Um, and that was in place from 1934 to 1968. And that, it put in a lot of like, no cursing, like mm -hmm. no, like very, everything had to be modest, like no mature content. And of course that included um, gay content basically, like. If there were gay characters, they had to be, like, evil? Yeah, villains, yeah. They had to be villains, or they had to be shown to be bad or tragic in some way. So that kind of invented the queer-coded villain trope, which, like, with the James Bond thing, like, that was definitely, like, I think in Dracula's Daughter and the Maltese Falcon, which is 36 and 41, both of those had this villain who was just, like, vaguely sexual towards the same gender like protagonist. Yeah, it's um it reminds me of um I don't know if y'all watched the Powerpuff Girls before. Yes, yes. Okay, Very good example. Know. Yeah. I don't know I, what was the villain name? It was like it uh, was really offensive too. His like, name was well, it's like I don't even know what pronoun that's, for yeah. for like a fictional character, but like the character's name is just him. See, yeah, that's that's kinda on the nose like Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the villain, and it's like, yeah, like, very clearly supposed to be some sort of... Uh, There's Mojo Jojo. <laughs> no, it's not. Mo Mojo no, Jojo's just... a monkey. <laughs> I, I never saw the... There's a character that's show. literally just called him, yeah. and he looks kind of like a devil, but like a feminized devil. I don't... That's so crazy. But, but they also, they have like a... I'm like mixing up pronouns with the character. Um, like kind of a stereotypical like man voice, uh, and yeah, it's basically yeah. like demonizing a trans woman. Pretty much, it's yeah, it's yeah, man. Every time, every time the Powerpuff Girls defeat them, it's it's so brutal. I mean, that's every villain, but yeah, I don't know. I just I just remember watching that specifically, like just beat the yeah. You know, and like I love the Powerpuff Girls. It's only like looking back at these things now. Yeah, it sucks that you sort of realize. And there are a lot of examples of queer-coded villains, even like vaguely, like you think about like Disney movies from the 90s, like a good example is Ursula from The Little Mermaid. What? She is, like they've stated that she is based off of a drag queen called Divine, who was in John Waters movies. So John Waters did the original Hairspray movie. But he also did um, Pink Flamingo, which I actually I have on this list somewhere. Um, Pink Flamingos from 1972. It's the most notorious of John Waters' films, which explores the concept of camp with queer characters behaving badly. Famously features the drag queen Divine. So like those like thin eyebrows, mm -hmm. kind of like a bigger woman. Like she's very clearly based off of Divine. Wow. Um, 
but even just that a lot of villains, a lot of male villains are vaguely feminine. Yeah. Um. Even um. It's too. You know what's funny? It's too many movies to name that have like. Yeah. Very. Even Ghostbusters. The first. The first Ghostbusters was like. Think a man dressed in like a dress or some skimpy uh, clothes, yeah. and it was crazy, man. Like. It was funny. I, I'm kind of ashamed at myself. Not at myself, but like, cause like, it wasn't that many like representation of LGBTQ um, you know, things going yeah. up, especially in my area. So I'm thinking, I'm like, and the only representation was um villains. So I'm like, it can't be right. <laughs> like, but man, that's crazy as hell. <laughs> yeah. Once you think, yeah, I mean, it's understandable that people don't know, but once you know. You kind of can't stop seeing it. Yeah. Um, and for reference, here's Divine. Yes, there's Divine. Oh Definitely. Divine. And we can even like put up pictures on social media after yeah. to like compare. But yeah. Um, so what was I saying? Oh, and sometimes like the people who make these queer coded villains might not even realize that that's what they're doing because it's so set in that's just a villain trope. So, and it's interesting, it all goes back to the Hays Code. I, I didn't know that was like a like set thing. Yeah. And it, it kind of makes me think of, there's a show called Community that kind of like makes fun of tropes and stuff. And one of the characters is kind of like a bad guy in one of the seasons. And like three seasons later, at the very end of the series, he says, guys, I'm gay. Like, for real gay. <laughs> It's like now knowing about the Hayes Code, I'm like, I wonder if they're making fun of that. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I've never seen Community. It's on my list. I should. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's crazy. How many lists do you have, Katie? Well, I, I have more. I shouldn't read all of them. It's a long list. Um, okay, this one was interesting to me. You guys heard of the movie Rebel Without a Cause? Yes. yes. I've never seen it. I but saw it's it. Like, I've never seen it. Yeah. It's a good movie. It's, it's right? a classic. 1955. Um... There's a character, one of the main characters, Plato. You've seen him? Yeah, right, Plato. Uh-huh. Um, he's played by one of Hollywood's first openly gay actors, Sal Mineo, Mineo uh-huh. who later referred to the character he played as the first gay teenager on film. Uh-huh. So apparently he played that character trying to, like, code him in, like, a gay manner. You know, looking back at it, I can see it. Yeah. It's, um... Because in the film, he was hanging around with, um, you know, some girls and all that stuff. And it was never, like, a macho thing, like, oh, yeah, I'm about to sweep her off our feet or whatever. It was more of, like, I don't know. Okay, that's that's interesting. I mean, he died at the end. Don't, oh, spoiler, don't spoiler. Always, no, I don't care. I just, <laughs> oh, don't they always die? There's, a, there's another trope called barrier gaze about how so many gay characters die in TV. Yeah. Um, I don't know how historical that is. I didn't research that for this, but it just reminded me of that. If you had to guess, when do you think the first romantic gay male kiss happened on primetime TV? Mm-hmm. Generally. Do we just gotta guess the year? You you can give me like a decade or like a general. Definitely not the seventies. <laughs> I'm gonna go with nineties. Yes. Close enough. It's 1999. It was an episode of Dawson's Creek. Uh, and there was a... The first romantic lesbian kiss happened in 91. 
and they became it became not want to say common but there were definitely more lesbian kisses on tv throughout the 90s because it was a good ploy for ratings because of the sexualization of uh lesbians bisexual women things like that so it's kind of sad but interesting and that was an episode of la law in 91 that had the first lesbian kiss um the first primetime lesbian wedding was a 96 episode of Friends, which if you've seen Friends or are vaguely familiar, Ross's first ex-wife um, comes out as a lesbian and marries another woman, and that's what the episode is. But going back, so kind of like the history of TV and LGBT representation is a 1971 episode of All in the Family, which All in the Family was that show with like the father character Archie Bunker, who's like a real jerk, bigot, and everything, but like he's used to like teach the audience, I guess. Sounds like that. And in that episode, he finds out that an old friend of his is gay. So it's like a teaching moment for him. In 1972, there was a made-for-TV movie called That Certain Summer, which had the first same-gender relationship shown on TV, and that won two Emmys and a Golden Globe. In 73, there was a PBS documentary slash like reality TV miniseries called An American Family, and the eldest son on that uh, was openly gay. His name was Lance Loud. And he kind of became an LGBT icon. And it sort of like foreshadows how um, reality TV, it's sort of become an easier place to be gay or trans or something. Like you see characters, I mean, they're real people in reality TV, but like on the real world, Survivor, like various things like that. I mean, so it's, it's sort of interesting that it was one of the first ones. Um, one of the, the first openly gay reoccurring character was Jody on the show Soap, which ran from 77 to 81. And he was kind of slightly controversial because the character, they did sort of have him play around with like wanting to be a woman, but then not. So it's kind of like you can see how the character was written by people who are not LGBT, but like trying to be tolerant and like compassionate towards community and such. One thing is that like a lot of these shows that were on like ABC, NBC, Fox, they didn't have a lot of gay characters, trans characters, relationships because advertisers would flee. Mm. And that's why, especially in the late 90s, early thousands, the big LGBT shows, which are Queer as Folk and The L Word, were on like HBO and Showtime, mm. which makes sense. I didn't really know that. Yeah, and, oh, we have to talk about Ellen. Oh, yes, Ellen. Ellen. <laughs> Ellen, we can, like, laugh about Ellen now, especially, like, in the wake of, like, her apparently being so rude and awful to her employees. But Ellen was a big deal in the 90s, especially for oh, the yeah, gay community. Sure. And, like, it's it's crazy to think about. Um, what I didn't realize is that her show was on for five seasons. I was under the impression for some reason, that, like, the episode with her coming out happened in, like, the first season, and then it was canceled right away. That was not true. She, the episode with her coming out 
was near the end of season four. And, and it made her the first like openly lesbian main character played by an openly lesbian actress. Um, but then it only lasted one more season uh. and like almost ruined her career. Mm. But it's still, you know, it's a cool uh, stepping stone. Cool things, you know. And like, I had a friend say once that like, Ellen was like their mom's gateway to gay tolerance. Uh. And it's like, yeah, like Ellen and Will and Grace sort of helped in the early thousands teach people like tolerance. Which is weird to think about. But true is that, like, we learn from sitcoms because we get accustomed to them and it, they f those characters, like, feel like family in a weird way. Mm. And what I think is, like, important about Will and Grace is that one of the main characters, I forget his name, not Will, the other man, he's sort of a stereotypical gay man in that he's more flamboyant, feminine. But Will is not a stereotypical gay man. Mm. He's more like, I don't want to say regular. Right. It's, but like to the outside world, to the American public, they would see Will as just a regular guy. So I think it's very interesting and cool that they did that. I don't know. I'm blabbing on. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, can I just say something? Yeah. You know what's my favorite pastime to do? Mm -hmm. I like to go on YouTube and watch conservatives. Just complain about like LGBTQ things, <laughs> like I like listen, listen, Ben Shapiro, all the, these other uh, dudes, when uh, when they have a Nickelodeon, when they was having a, a drag race on like it was like a commercial with like a bunch of drag queens and all that stuff. I just it's so interesting to hear like thirty five year old like middle aged men yeah. complaining about people in dresses. I'm just like. Like RuPaul's Drag Race? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It was on like Nick, Nick Jr. or something. And it was another episode of like the Muppet Babies and somebody dressed like a, you know, somebody dressed yeah. in like, you know, I a mean, dress. Bugs Bunny used to dress in a dress all the that's, time. That's what I mean. But yeah. like, I'm sorry, that's just my favorite pastime. <laughs> yeah. As a conservative myself, like, that always annoys me. Like, why are you such a jerk? Just let people uh, live. Yeah, like, listen, I don't care what spectrum you're on, or that's political, right. or anything. <laughs> Why are you complaining about people right. in dresses? Let people dress how they want, let people love who they love. Yep. Yeah. I've never understood it. So, um, I think, you know, and there's a lot that could be said, about, you know, this is not an exhaustive history of this stuff, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it's just a good introduction that to think about where tropes come from and how something as innocent as a sitcom can change the public perception. So, yeah. Well, thanks for having this discussion, learning. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. It's, it's a much deeper history than I'd ever It's imagined. interesting. There's a lot that you could go into. Yeah, that is our little LGBT history lesson, lesson for October. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Rough Draft Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Make sure to tune in next week 